thing. Merry Christmas. Welcome to South Hills Church. I'm glad the, those of you that were able to brave the weather are here in person and those that maybe made the wiser decision. I don't know. It depends on how much slipping and sliding happened while you came here. But those of you that are online, uh, welcome as well. Uh, my daughter Charlie's going to be reading uh, from the Bible here in just a second. But before she does that, I wanted to throw out a disclaimer for us as a church family. Just the, as I was practicing for today, I really felt the Holy Spirit lay this on my heart that that Christmas is a mixed bag for us. Uh, We as humans are complicated. If you don't believe that, ask my wife. She will tell you I'm complicated. And and so the reality is, is because of all of our experiences, for some of us, this is a time of joy and celebration and excitement. And for, for some of us, because of life circumstances, some of us have experienced pain and loss and trauma at this same time. So I'm just acknowledging that because wherever you're at on that spectrum, I want you to know that this place is for you and that God knows where you're at and that we as a church body, we can celebrate with each other. We can celebrate with those that are celebrating and we can mourn with those that are mourning. So if you would, uh, we have a tradition here at South Hills Church, if we could rise for the reading of God's word. Our focus passage today is not out of Luke or Matthew, but I just don't think we can kick the morning off without starting there. So Charlie's going to be reading to us Matthew uh, chapter 2. She corrected me. That's why she's here, folks. She's going to stay up here all Sunday. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Go ahead, sweetheart. Heavenly Father, God, as we come together this morning, I just pray that you bless this time. Uh, God, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and help, just give us ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord, this amazing gift that you've given us. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah, go ahead. So although that is not going to be our focus first, our focus first is going to continually look back to to Luke and look back here to the manger. You know, growing up, Christmas was a time of anticipation for me. Uh, I remember there were things that we only did at Christmas time. There was certain foods my family only ate at Christmas time. There were some cousins and aunts and uncles that we saw each other at different holidays throughout the year, but Christmas was one of those special times. And in fact, uh, I was had had the chance to get together with them last night, and it was really special. Uh, there are certain movies. I, I mean, you can watch. Ebenezer Scrooge any time of the year, but it just doesn't have the same impact in July that it does in December. Uh, I remember food. I remember presents. I loved both gift receiving and gift giving. I vividly remember being five years old and going around my house. I mean, I didn't have any money. I hadn't gotten a job yet. And I found things around my house that already belonged to my family members I wrapped them up and gave them to them on Christmas morning. They were surprised, folks. They were surprised. Not so much because they got something new, but because they're like, I thought I already owned this this dice. 
You did, Dad, but I just gave it to you again. I, uh, I also remember the definition of gifts. As a child, if I got a gift like this, it's a big box. Nice structure. Something's good. Something good is inside of this. That was my, my qualification of what a good gift was. It's soft, folks. You know what that is? Socks or underwear. And at five years old, socks and underwear are not a great gift. Now at 44, when half of them are holy in your drawer, this is a great gift. These are real gifts, folks, that people were opening this morning. I'm like, don't open that. I need that this morning. I can tell you, though, I remember this point in my life where my definition of a great gift got redefined. It was my junior year of high school. All the gifts from underneath the tree were open, and I was clearing out the stocking. And as I pulled out a really small box out of the stocking and opened it up, my life was transformed forever, folks. My parents had bought me a pager. (laughs) Now, I know I just dated myself a little bit. That actually is exactly what the pager looked like. Pastor Scott didn't know that when he found the image for me, but that is exactly what my pager looked like. I clipped it to my belt and I would walk around living life. And when my friends wanted to talk to me, they would page me. And then I would have to go and find a phone and call them. Let's go ahead and throw that next slide up. We need to translate this for anyone under the age of 40. So a pager plus a corded phone equals an iPhone, folks. So all the folks that have some youth in the audience. Yep. Now, this came to be a problem for my marriage because I got married here at South Hills when I was 19 years old. And so that first Christmas, as I'm sitting there busting into the stocking, I didn't even realize it, but my my parents had redefined the quality, the the definition of a quality gift. And so the first Christmas that my wife and I celebrated together, I had nuts and chocolate and fruit. And folks, that is not a quality gift. (laughs) At least not in my definition, it wasn't. No, my wife, at some point I realized that, hey, that's something special to me. So at some point I shared with her, the story. And so she started getting creative. Portable toilet paper, folks. (laughs) Portable toilet. She was so pleased with herself when I pulled this out of the stocking. She's like, I did it. I did it. Right. And I'm like, it's toilet paper. (laughs) Now, thankfully with maturity folks and with time, my definition of great gifts has continued to change. This is actually the roll of toilet paper. She gave me 20 years ago. I still have it today. Not going to use it unless it's a total emergency. (laughs) Well, folks, the reason why I share some of this story is because we all have measurements of what great gifts are. And it's really hard for us to understand the gift that God gave us in Jesus Christ in the manger on Christmas morning, unless we really have a great understanding of a few things. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is having a better understanding, a better perspective So that we can really appreciate the gift that Jesus Christ is and and was on Christmas morning. We're going to be starting for this awareness with God awareness. Having an accurate picture of God helps us have a better understanding of the gift. If you're a note taker, that's going to be that first little spot there on your note cards. I love books. I love books especially when... They point me back to scripture. So if I'm going to read a book that's going to help me understand my relationship with God, I'm hoping it's constantly pointing me back to the Bible because that's the source of our faith. That's where God has revealed himself 
to us, both who he is and who we are. And in this book by A.W. Tozer, it's titled The Knowledge of the Holy. In chapter one, paragraph three, he writes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You might sit there and think, well, why? Because if we have a really small God, then it transforms the way we live our, our life and our relationship with him. But if he is who he has revealed himself to be in scripture, it radically transforms who we are and the way we live life. So there's two things that we've heard over the last probably, I don't know, two or three months as we are studying Exodus, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. uh, There were a couple truths that were told to us from scripture. And one of them was that God is holy and God is just. If you could throw that slide up there, these two truths about God. God is holy and God is just. Now, if you're in elementary school here in the room, I want you to raise your hand really high. I want to see how many elementary schoolers we have here. I see a couple over here. I'm loving it. All right, let's throw up the math equation. All right, first of all, I want to ask you a question. What is one plus one? Elementary schoolers. All right, what's two plus two? All right, so what does one equals one mean? Well, that means the, the, the number one is equal to itself. One is equal to one. So let's go back to the previous slide. Let's talk about God is holy and God is just. There's really no better way for me to tell you that God is holy, meaning I can't add a whole lot more adjectives to that. What it means is that God God is equal to holy. Holy is equal to God. God is the definition of holiness. God is the definition of justice. Now that is good, but then it gets us into trouble here in a second because of who we are. We know that God is holy. He is without blemish, without fault. Everything he says, everything everything he thinks, his relationship with us is perfect. Unfortunately, just like my wife knows about me, we are not. And so since we aren't holy, we aren't perfect, and the fact that God is just, we can't be in relationship with him without him fixing our sin problem. And we're going to get more into that here in a little bit when we look at us. But right now, just focusing on God. God is holy. God is just. There's a couple places in Scripture where God reveals this to us. So let's look at Isaiah. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. The book of Isaiah is right smack dab middle in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet of God. God spoke through Isaiah to his people. And so this is Isaiah, this spiritual giant. If you were going to translate that into into modern day, Billy Graham, for a lot of us, was a spiritual giant. Man, he really has his act together in his relationship with God. Isaiah really had his act together in his relationship with God from an outsider looking in. And this is what he writes. He has this vision or this dream. And he says, in the the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Now think about this for a second. These are angels, folks. We we will never be angels, the Bible teaches us. Angels are a creation of God. We are a creation of God, but we are different types of creation. And these angelic beings are covering their faces in God's presence. Stay with me there. Verse 3. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. I love Isaiah's response here. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And we're going to stop there. Folks, Isaiah was a spiritual giant in our way that we look at this as humans. And he was fully aware of his unholiness. He didn't even see God completely. He saw the essence of God. And when he saw the essence of God, his response was, woe to me, pretty much I'm going to die. And that's what we know, folks, is because God is holy and because we are unholy, the consequence of sin is death and eternal separation from God. But we're going to get to the better part of the story here in just a little bit, which is going to help us understand how great this gift is in the manger. Uh, let's throw up the, the uh, tabernacle. So a tabernacle, it was old school church, but it was a tent at first. And when God instructed them how to construct the tabernacle, this could honestly be like a sermon series in and of itself. So we're going to lightning speed through this. Within the tabernacle, there were different rooms and different people were allowed to go into different rooms. The inner portion of the tabernacle was called the Holy of Holies, or the Most Holy Place. And the only person that was allowed to go there was the chief priest, once a year, and only after he had gone through a whole series of being cleansed of his sin. The chief priest. He was like supposed to be like, again, spiritual giant, right? He could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And he had to go through this whole cleansing process to be reminded that he was un. Holy, to remind the Israelite people that they were unholy. And the reason why was because it was God pretty much said that my essence will remain here. This is going to be the most intimate place that you can engage me here on earth. I can't be confined into this small space, but it's going to be the most sacred place. And once again, it was God communicating a message to us. And this is where the message really gets exciting for us, folks. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and when he released his soul, the curtain separating the holy place and the holy of holy places that nobody was allowed to go except for the chief priest once a year, it split from top to bottom, opening up our ability to sit there and go and have relationship with God. We're going to get more into that here in just a second. So that is God awareness. The next block there on your outlines, if you like to keep notes, is other awareness. And we're going to sit there and kind of be a, kind of a historic other awareness here, looking at the Israelite people when Christ was born. Why the heck did they not make more fanfare out of this, folks? Well, let's look at where they were at as a people. Israel had experienced about 400 years of silence with God. 400 years of them not hearing from him. Now, why do we know that? The book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi was a prophet, kind of like Isaiah. And that book, uh, being the last book written, like on a, uh, a timeline... When that book finished, it was roughly 400 years from then until Jesus Christ's birth. The Israelite people had not heard from a prophet like Isaiah, uh, like Malachi, for 400 years. Previously, Isaiah was used to having these spiritual giants. We learned back in November, Moses going down to Egypt and saying, Pharaoh, let my people go. They were used to having these saviors, these conquerors, these people that were, were the instruments of God, and they hadn't had it for a long time. 
When you put that in perspective, Israel had only been enslaved in Egypt for about 100 to 150 years. They lived there longer, but they were only in slavery for about 100 to 150 years. So again, Israel is watching for a Messiah. They're hungry to see a Messiah, but some of their ideas of what it was going to look like were really different. First of all, the the prophets said that he was going to be king. He was going to descend from the line of David. Well, there was already a king, King King Herod. And last week we learned that really the Roman government was in charge, but they put King Herod uh, as a ruler there in Jerusalem, kind of as a a puppet ruler who only ruled because they gave him authority to. Well, you can't have multiple kings, folks. The Romans were really in charge. King Herod was there in place. And if if there was going to be a new king, they were going to have to conquer both of these people, the entire Roman government and King Herod. So that's what they were looking for. And I'll tell you what, when you have a baby in a manger, it doesn't look like someone that's going to go out there and conquer the ruler of the world. But he was going to, folks. It was just he was conquering a different ruler. Amen? He was conquering Satan, who had severely damaged our relationship. Well, we got to own that a little bit too with our own sinfulness. Damaged our relationship with God with our unholiness. So that gives us a a picture of God awareness and his holiness and his justice. We're going to be seeing something else about God here in a second though, thankfully. We have a little bit of history with other awareness, but let's get into kind of that full picture of us, others, and God. With that, we're going to look at uh, really our focus verse for today, which is going to be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And this is going to give us glimpses of all three, awareness of God, awareness of others, and awareness of ourselves. And it reads, uh, or let me back that up, I'm sorry. So the, the person that wrote the book of Ephesians was Paul. He wrote it to the church in Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey, and the, the city of Ephesus was known for idol worship, sexual sin, and foolish philosophies. Does it sound like any place that you all know here in 2023? I guess 2022. So let's go back to Ephesians there. It reads, so again, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms and in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're going to go back there and just look at those verses real quick again. Verses 1 to 3 we're going to start off with. Look where where Paul starts. 
So he's talking to the church in Ephesus and he reminds them, hey, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. No one really likes the finger pointed at them. So thankfully, Paul flips it around real quick and shares the whole picture. Because the reality is, it isn't just you. Let's go to verse 2. And in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is Satan. Let's go to verse 3. All of us, this is important for Paul to point out. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And the wrath that we are deserving of is God's wrath. God is a holy God, but he's also a just God. So because of that, there has to be justice. Justice feels really good when we're the victims. If you've ever been a victim before and you, I want justice doesn't feel quite as good when we're the violators. Because now justice means us being held accountable. And ultimately, what we deserve, what I deserve as a sinner, is I deserve death and eternal separation from God. Now, you might be thinking, you know, I don't know everyone in here. So some of you might be thinking, you know what, though, are we really that bad? Well, we are told, yes, in James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. I like this verse because it reminds me that not to compare myself with other humans. Because if I look left and right and I sit there and think, I'm not really that bad, am I? There's these other people that are a lot worse than me. This Bible passage teaches us, no, if you violated any of the law, you're guilty of of breaking the, the whole law. Well, what is the law? Getting in the Old Testament, that's what the Israelites would have been understanding when they talk about the law, like the Ten Commandments. And Jesus really clarified this when he was here on earth. In the book of Matthew, which is the first book in the Old Testament, chapter 5, Jesus is giving a famous sermon. Now, we've come to call it the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus didn't have social media back then. He didn't sit there and have it flashing. This is the Sermon on the Mount. But he's, he's teaching a group of people, and he really clarifies this point. In verses 21 and 22, he says to the crowd, It says in the law that you're not supposed to murder. And like everyone in the crowd is probably going, yeah, we've been good there. haven't killed anyone. But I say to you, if you you sit there and think about your brothers with hatred, you're, you're committing the same sin of murder in your heart. And now people are going, uh oh, it was a rough Christmas morning. So and so didn't cook the ham right, right? And I was sitting there getting pretty frustrated with someone. He continues just a few verses later in verses 27 and 28. And he talks about adultery and he points out, hey, in the law, it says you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife, not supposed to commit adultery with her. I'm telling you, if you've looked lustfully at her, you've committed the same sin in your heart. Once again, the crowd's going, "Uh oh. So what the Bible teaches us is that we are all sinners. We are all sinners. The chasm that separates us from God is ginormous. All of us are over here on this side of the chasm, folks, and we all have about the same distance to God. When we look left and right and try to compare ourselves with each other, we try to put ourselves on these spiritual uh, pedestals sometimes. But the reality is the Bible teaches us we are all sinners. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But this is where it gets good, folks. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have this huge transition in Ephesians in verse 4. If we could have that throw up on the screen. I love transitions. 
Because God's holiness and God's justice is 100% true. But we also, with this word but, we, we, we get to know the fact that he is the definition of holiness, he's the definition of justice, and he's the definition of love. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, let's go into verse 5, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you were saved. You don't have to get cleaned up to come into a relationship with God. You don't have to get cleaned up to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We walk in messy and sinful. We accept the free gift of God's grace and his love. We are forgiven. And then God radically transforms our life inside out. We see in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, here's another transition word, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We also see in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is talking here and he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what Satan comes for, folks. That's what he wants to do in your life and in my life. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and to have it to the full. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, I don't know if I want that whole Jesus thing. I wouldn't be able to have as much fun. God is not about taking away our fun, folks. He made us. And he wants to, us to be in right relationship with him because that's the way he made us as humans is to be in relationship with God. And so he desires to have relationship. He has chased after us. Ever since Eden, God has had a, a rescue plan. This great rescue plan, plan to sit there and, and show his love for us. And thankfully, he's patient with his rescue plan. And there's this huge crescendo that happens throughout the Old Testament. And here on Christmas morning, with Jesus in the manger, we're almost getting to the top of the crescendo. It's not complete yet. It's not going to happen until Easter. But we're getting there. We're getting there to feel and experience God's love. In Ephesians chapter 6, we continue here, and it says, And God raised us up with Christ. Think about that for a second, folks. Yeah, you're forgiven. Get out of here now. No, that's not what he does. He forgives us. He calls us sons and daughters, and he raises us up with Christ, and he seats us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Let's go on to verse 7. In order that in the coming ages, that's where we're at now, he might show the incomparable riches. It's incomparable, folks. You win a billion dollars, that's not comparable to this. Again, we, our, our, our wages, what we deserve is death and eternal separation, but instead he raises us up with him and he shows the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, in Christ Jesus. Folks, that is the gift. That is the gift of Christmas morning, folks, is grace. We don't see it all. It's not complete yet. Jesus Christ, born in a manger, it's not fully complete until Easter, until he dies on a cross, raises three days later, and he's conquered death, conquered sin, and now we, we get to experience God's grace in its fullness. We see this in verses uh, 8 through 10, if we could throw up these. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not our own works. 
It is a gift of God. Not by our works, so that none of us can boast. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And in verse 10, we close out, for we are God's handiwork. Think about that for a second. You are God's handiwork. Anytime that you have felt insignificant, unspecial, disrespected, you are God's handiwork. And look what he did. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And God has prepared things for you to do in advance. There are some things that only you are made to do. There are some things that only I am made to do. We are God's handiwork. Just marinate in that for a second, folks. It's the only way for us to appreciate the gift. Otherwise, it's like socks. But it's not like socks, folks. This is the biggest, grandest gift that we could ever imagine. It fixed our sin problem. And just like when I got a pager, this now connected my friends to me always, right? At first, I thought it was a gift. After a while, you start to learn it's kind of like a leash, right? It's kind of like when your boss gives you a phone, folks. (laughs) It's not really a gift. It's because your boss wants to call you all the time. And just like that pager was a connection so that my friends could always have connection with me, the gift of Jesus Christ on Christmas morning that's culminated on the cross, the gift of grace, it allows you this morning, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you believe, hey, I'm a sinner, and what he accomplished on the, cro- on the cross is enough for me to be saved. God has forgiven me. And you accept that free gift. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't got to get cleaned up first. Today, you can go into God just like the Holy of Holies. You can commune with God, the creator of this universe, in a way that only the chief priest could, could do it before. And you can do it boldly knowing that I can come before God and I can talk to him. Not because of my own works, and it's not because I'm holy. That hasn't changed. But Christ's blood on the cross covers up my sin. And when God looks at me, he sees holiness because of Christ. He sees holiness because of Christ. The worship team's going to come up here in just a second and and close us out in worship. And as they come up, I, I wanted to share this kind of this connection. A lot of us are familiar with the movie The Christmas Carol. It's Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And he was bah humbug. He wasn't thankful for anything. Been there before. And he had to be visited through it in a dream by the, the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future before he really appreciated his life. Before he really appreciated his life. He needed perspective. Folks, we need perspective. I don't know where you're at today. Over the last couple years, I've been in some tough spots because of my own perspective. I haven't appreciated God and I haven't appreciated my family. I haven't appreciated having a job at times. And it's been the perspective of just being grateful for this amazing God that has created this universe around me and the amazing gifts that he's given me and the best gift of all is his gift of grace. Because every morning that I drive to work, I can sit there, I try not to close my eyes, keep the eyes open while driving, and I can say, God, thank you for this sunset. Thank you for this warm cup of coffee. Thank you that even if I don't like my job currently, I get to go to work and earn a little bit of money to pay for some food for my family. God, thank you. Thank you that I get to talk to you like this and be in communion with you. I'm not qualified myself. 
It is a gift of grace through Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, be with us today. As we sing this last song, Lord, in worshiping you, Lord, let us understand this gift that you've given us. Let us see it, see that your Son and your grace that you give us, Lord, in its complete, in its completeness, Lord. Help us have an understanding of who we are, both before, who we are now, Lord, as new creations in Christ, and the fact that we have this promise of eternity with you because of you solving our sin problem through your grace. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.